Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives Podcast. My name is Oliver Hartwig and I'm joined today by our researcher Leonard Hong because Leonard has just written a new report and the new report is called The Need to Build, the Demographic Drivers of Housing Demand. Okay, the need to build. So let's talk about the need to build. I think by now we all know New Zealand has a housing crisis. And actually, actually New Zealand has had a housing crisis now for many years. It's probably become a little bit worse recently because of all the money created by the Reserve Bank. But you say actually the worst is still to come. Why? Well, we're not building enough in proportion to population growth as well, right? So, um, for instance, when you look at stats and Z's figures um, based on um, dwellings built per thousand uh, in 1973, the index was 13.2, today it's 7.6. So in the news, everyone is saying, oh, we're building 39,000, this is the peak since, since the 1970s, this is great. Um, but when you look at that proportion, it's not enough, right? So with just, just population growth, it's not enough. So we're currently building uh, quite substantial numbers of homes, But um, in the 1970s, we were building the same numbers, but at a population of just about 3 million. That's right. Yeah. So you say, though, that um, the situation is going to get a lot worse because the population is aging. What do you actually mean by that? And can you explain what population aging usually entails? Well, when you look at not just, um, I mean, New Zealand is a quintessential example as to what's been going on, is that our median age has gone from 28 in the 1970s to close to 38 today. And this has resulted in an average household size dropping from 3.4 to the current rate of 2.6. Now, this is going to continue to a point where we end up maybe close to Japan and Germany. But we are a long way away from these countries that you just mentioned. New Zealand is still a relatively young country by international standards. Is that right? Yes, it is. So um, at 38 years median age in New Zealand, how do we compare against the rest of the world? I think we, you could say that New Zealand is about 20 to 30 years uh, behind the Germanys or the Japans of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, this trend of average household sizes declining will rapidly escalate. And uh, my projections in my paper show that. How does that actually happen? Can you give us some international examples? Yeah, sure. Let's go back to Germany. Uh, so... Um, After the end of the Cold War in 1990, Germany's population was about 81 million. Um, and at the same time, uh, the total uh, household numbers at the time was 35 million. But after around 30 years, um, despite the population being around 81, 82 million people in Germany, um, the total number of households are now 42 million. So, so that's 7 million more. That's right, that's right. So you have a country where the population is stable mm -hmm. and still you formed an extra 7 million households. Can you just explain in simple terms what's happened? Well, it's aging. The population is aged. In Germany, uh, the median age was around 35 in that period and now it's about 48, 47, right? Mm -hmm. And so what this means is that um, as societies age, they typically, uh, well, let's... Can I give a microeconomic example, for instance? Go ahead. So in my paper, I go through, um, for instance, there's this one family. There's a, a couple and three children. That's just one home, right? This has no migration, no other external factors uh, taken into account. But that family in 30 years leads to, for instance, the, the three kids. One of them gets married, has two kids. One of them doesn't have a partner, lives on his own. Another has two kids. And so that one household 
without any migration and a lower fertility rate goes from one to four homes. So if you aggregate that example to the whole country, this explains why Germany ended up from 35 million to 42 million households. I mean, the family you just talked about presumably also had grandparents back then, so you yes, could kind of take them off. That's right. But what you're describing is a general phenomenon that families are getting smaller. Yes. And uh, is it true that we see more single-person households? Yes, that proportion is expected to go up according to Stats New Zealand, and also um, the trends are are going in that direction. Less people are having um, children. Um, there's more divorces. And so these social trends are, which means that uh, you'll need to build more than anticipated. And and from your paper, you understand that this is a global phenomenon. This is indeed a global phenomenon. And you looked at a variety of countries. Yes. How many countries were in your study? I looked at all the OECD countries, including Turkey, including Mexico, Korea, Japan, Germany, etc. So we're talking roughly three dozen countries. That's right, yeah. And you looked at their household patterns, basically, over mm -hmm. the last 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So roughly speaking, what's happened? They are all declining. They're all, all declining. rapidly declining, including Turkey. So in 2018, their numbers, well, despite being a uh, developing country broadly, um, their average household size is now down to 32 And that development has happened no matter whether you're Chile or Turkey or Germany yes. or Japan or indeed New Zealand? Correct. What's it like in New Zealand? New Zealand is, well, as I said, uh, we're now down to 2.6. Um, but according to uh, Stats New Zealand's um, last year's paper, Housing in Aotearoa, there's been more overcrowding, uh, more overcrowding, rising in homelessness. The dwelling conditions have not been getting better. And also this, the striking bit is um, the, the average household size that Stats New Zealand projected is going to be around uh, 2.4 in the median uh, scenario. We often hear that New Zealand is maybe 20 or 30 years behind some social developments in Europe, mm -hmm. simply because we are a younger country still. Mm -hmm. If you take the European experience and apply it to where we are in New Zealand, what kind of household demand or housing demand rather can we expect then in 20 or 30 years' time? It depends on a number of different uh, scenarios, right? Okay, fill me in. Well, I mean, uh, my whole paper, The Need to Build, goes through um, demography and then it calculates and estimates the the new annual dwellings that we need to construct and also the we consider the Stats New Zealand's uh, projections as well um, and compare it and contrast it. Um, and the thing is, this phenomenon that we talked about, the average household uh, size declining, is already taken into account by councils and also Stats New Zealand. It's just something that's not talked about in the public sphere. Um, so basically, um, for demography, I use three things. One is the um, low, median, high life expectancy, low, median, high uh, net migration, and also zero net migration because I wanted to consider, okay, let's follow the, 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 you could say, the nativist argument that let's just cut migration altogether and see what happens. And finally, the fertility rate. The fertility rate has been declining. Uh, the fertility rate is basically the number of children per woman. Yes. Right. And you've calculated, I think, 36 different scenarios? Yes, yes. And under every scenario, from what I've seen, you would expect our housing needs to grow. Absolutely, yes. So even with no migration and with low fertility and a low life expectancy, we would still have to build. Yes, um, according to my projections, um, I think it was median life expectancy, um, net zero migration, and I think low fertility, it was still around 20,000 annual. 
So that's roughly what we're currently building. Yes. And that yes. is the lowest possible scenario. That's right, that's right. And in the more realistic scenarios where we've got some migration returning after COVID's over mm -hmm. and um, where we have kind of medium fertility rates and mm -hmm. maybe a medium life expectancy, let's hope it gets a bit higher, what would that mean? It was between 27,000 and, and 34,000. That was the number. And the, the of new homes a year. Yes. And that is expecting uh, houses to be infinite, like alive forever. Right? Oh, we know that houses need to be demolished and replaced. Um, so it doesn't take in, into account that. It doesn't take into account infometrics uh, figure of the shortfall, the undersupply 40,000. So we are well behind. So... What you're saying is actually we're currently building at rates that we haven't seen since the 1970s and still they are below the figure we would have to build in perpetuity, basically, for the next 30 or 40 years at least, um, if we just want to keep up with demographic change. That's right, that's right. So what's your message then to policymakers and well, to the public? Well, to the public, we should stop tinkering around the idea of, you know, dealing with demand, right? I mean, the Prime Minister's talked about, you know, first-time buyers, first-time buyers. It's not just her. I mean, the previous government as well, they've been tinkering around, you know, uh, bright line testing and uh, tackling into speculation and not necessarily dealing with, for instance, you know, the, the core fundamental root of the problem, which is we're not building enough. Like, the need to build, that's the title for that reason. My main message through my papers to say, look, we need to build now and fast. It's imperative that we build now. This is nothing. There's a saying, demography is destiny, meaning that um, you don't really have much choice over demography. Is that right? Because politicians couldn't actually fiddle with it. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Chinese uh, one-child one policy has been an example of authoritarian governments trying to control the fertility of their population. Um uh, in liberal democracies, that's impossible. Nor should we... Well, in liberal democracies, some countries have tried. I mean, there yes. was a baby bonus in yeah. Australia for Peter a while. Costello. Indeed. Um, but generally speaking, governments cannot really influence fertility too much unless you're authoritarian like China. No, that's right. Um, but um, I've looked at some papers that covered the effects of cash subsidies um, okay. that were tried in Singapore, Korea, Japan. Okay, so we can't um, really do too much about fertility. What about migration? Can governments actually fully control migration? Not necessarily either, because New Zealand has a very, um, you could say, um, a different example in comparison to the rest of the world. Uh, we have a trans-Tasman open border, similar to the European Union's Schengen zone and also the uh, open interstates. We will have that again in a future. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we've got, I think, a million or one and a half million Kiwis living abroad that could come back any moment. Completely, yes. Right. So we don't really have much choice there. And when it comes to life expectancy, again, this is not, not something the government could easily influence. No, I mean... You know, according to Steven Pinker from Harvard, you know, we're living longer and healthier, you know. Which is a good thing. Which is an absolutely a good thing. You know, that we want to see more people live happier and long lives. Um, but it's something that governments sh cannot do much. It's based on technology and medicine and public health policy. Well, they could do some stuff with public health measures and other things, but you're right. Um, now, you've been researching this now for quite a while, for about a year. Um, has that changed the way you think about society housing, demography. Have you ever thought about this before? Well, when I was an undergraduate, actually, I always, my lecturers and professors told me, oh, it's, we just need to pass capital gains. Oh, these, you know, rich people from 
China, for instance, are doing all of these uh, things by speculating the housing market. But then when I think about it now and when I looked at you know international examples like talking to you and talking to Eric, I realized that, wow, it, it's just as long as we have the right economic institutions and the frameworks and the mechanisms in place, the investors and the speculators would not have the incentives to try to land bank or do any of these things that, you know, typically um, people that want to tackle the demands I talk about. Mm. Um, and presumably during your research, you talk to many of your friends and colleagues and relatives. Did you get the impression that ordinary New Zealanders even know what's in store for them and what kind of demographic changes um, we can expect in the future? I don't think they're really thinking about it. They do implicitly know that, you know, societies age, um, but it's not really in the back of the heads like 24-7, right? You know, I'm in a special place. I get to look into this in detail. So your report, The Need to Build, is effectively a wake-up call then? Completely. Okay. In which case, we can only hope that many people will hear that wake-up call, not least our councils and the government. Because I think it's, it's fascinating what you found. So regardless of what we do, we will have to build more and we're currently undersupplying the market. And it's only going to get worse. And if you want to find out more about Leonard's report, you can find it on the Initiatives website. For now, thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks, Oliver. Thank you.